Today, Jack, the show is all about you. You're in full control. It's about your favourite area, cap space. So, mate, that's me done. This is all about you. Go. First of all, hello to Jack. Good morning, Jack. Let's talk to Jack Duffin. Let's bring in Jack Duffin. In our Westminster studio is Jack Duffin. Welcome back to the Jack Duffing Cap Show, where I'll be talking salary cap live and exclusive on the Paul Brown Podcast Network. So, week one must have went well, and thank you all for listening, because I was surprised Paul has allowed me to do a second episode, so if it all keeps going well, I'll be coming back to you every week. The last two have been on Saturdays, and moving forward, we're going to be moving to Tuesdays. Um, So, make sure you Check out every Tuesday and listen to this show. And if you don't listen to all the other podcasts, make sure you listen out. The work me and Paul do is always worth listening to. So this was recorded before cut down day and I'll be covering all that next week. So when you tune in on Tuesday, I'll be covering everything cut down related. Did we make certain decisions because of salary cap? Was that why we moved Colquitt on as a punter and kept Vogel? Do we end up moving on a Collins or someone like that? So I'll be covering all that on Tuesday, so make sure you come back. Just an update on where I think the Browns roster is at the moment um, after the Kendricks cut. So the NFL salary cap is $177.2 million. We're spending currently 88.5% of that, and that's on... 156.8 million. Um, we've then got a 12.8% of it, which is tied up in dead money and injury reserve. These are based on my roster projections, which comes out at 22.7 million. So overall, we're looking at spending just over 100% of the salary cap. But obviously, Dorsey might make different moves to what I'd like to make. So let's see what happens. And then obviously, if we pick up a few players from waivers, we'll have the practice squad players to add to that, and um, we'll have a better idea of what our um, salary cap looks like when we're back next show. So, with the first show, I covered quarterbacks, um, why you should have a room of three quarterbacks, and I just want to confirm, because there was a couple of people that uh, didn't quite get what I meant when I was talking about your drafting quarterbacks, either in the first round, so if you're out there looking for a starting quarterback that you want to start this season or next season, the only round you're taking them in is round one. Um, so I'll be covering draft as well as uh, salary cap. And the reason to take them in round one, because if you think there's a quarterback out there that could be a starting quarterback on your team and you need a quarterback, you're not waiting until round two because he might be a value. And then if you're looking for a backup quarterback, you're going in rounds four, five, six and seven for me. Um, you might always look to just grab that one development prospect that you like. If there's none of them in the draft that you like, don't bother. Um, or you've got a youngster on your books who you think might be good. And in a year's time, they might have looked at Brogan Roback on the practice squad. And go, I mean, we actually like this guy. So stick him on your roster as your third quarterback. Have Stanton as your backup and Mayfield starts. And then take an undrafted uh, free agent, a rookie, and have him as your fourth camp arm. But 
It's always worth, if you're not happy with at least three of your quarterbacks, then go out there and take a punt. This week, and so I move through the roster, I'm going to be looking at running backs. So where the Browns are at the moment, you've got Duke Johnson on 2.2%, which is just shy of 4 million. You've got Hyde at 1.8%, which is just over 3 million. And then you've got Chubb at 0.8%, and that's 1.3 million. And then it depends what you do with this. You could go Danny Vitali as a fullback, but within the running back room. That's at 0.4% with 630,000. Or you've got someone like Hilliard at 0.3%, which is 480,000. You could go with Days, but if you don't take Days, you've got a little bit of dead cap at 16,000, but it's so small it doesn't really make any difference. <laughs> and for me, the target should always be to try get your running back room of four. Obviously, if you have more, then that changes to 4% of your salary cap. And so at the moment, that totals out about 7 million. So we're over that at the moment. We're coming in at just over 5%, regardless of which way you shape the room up to be. And how I get that 4% is from drafting nearly a running back every single year. They're, they're so cheap. There's loads of them always coming out of college every draft. Last year was a very special draft. There was a lot of elite talent at the running back position. But then there was players like Ito Smith getting picked in the fourth round who still looking like good players. And one thing that's been clear for years, and all the evidence says it, the value in the run game comes from the strength of your O-line. So if your O-line is better your run game is better. And yeah, there's probably a couple of backs out there that have managed to slightly change that. But if you look at all the measures, they've looked at quality running backs, the people at PFF and other people looked into statistical analysis. And the only thing that shows any um, relativity to the results of the run game has been the strength of the O-line, nothing to do with the running back. So... If you want to go out there and you want to improve your running game, draft an O-lineman, don't draft a running back, however bizarre that sounds. There's so many running backs late on, so I'd say there's two sorts of running backs, and for me, you never go chasing the three-down running back. They're just ridiculously overpriced. Saquon Barkley, second overall in the draft. If you wanted Saquon Barkley to be the Browns' number one pick, probably not the sort of person that's going to be listening to this podcast. If you were, then thank you for tuning in and I'll try to change your mind. Running backs are replaceable and you can easily take what a running back can achieve and break it into two parts. And they are the receiving back and the between the tackles runner. And let's look, probably the best example of a top receiving back in the NFL is Duke Johnson, who... It's great. He's a brown and he's cheap. And the reason is because you're not going to use him on every snap. You're not going to run him through between the tackles. You're going to get the value by putting the ball in his hands. And whether he flips to a slot receiver, whether he runs from the back once he's been thrown the ball, it doesn't matter. You put the ball in his hand and things will happen. So if I'm looking at to get a receiving back in the draft, I'm looking anywhere between the third and seventh round. And... 
I wouldn't ever look to get one in the first and second round. If you're looking to get that change and improve your receiving game, grab a tight end or a wide receiver in rounds one or two. But we'll talk more about them in the coming episodes. And then you're between the tackles, rounds four to seven. And there's an argument that you could probably even get ones later than the fourth round. But I'm happy that if there's quality there, take one in the fourth round. Because... They don't, they're not that important, and usually, if you've had a running back that you've battered and run and run and run for four years, their legs are going to be gone. The chances of them having another three, four years successful career is very low. So why pay them? Why take the risk and pay someone when you can just draft another replaceable piece and pop them in there? So that would give you a room of paying one receiving back, say between 1.5% and 3% of the salary cap. So that gives you a, a scope to move up, somewhere in the region of £5 million. You can easily pay pounds, dollars. We'll get there. And then you're looking at having three drafted running backs on your roster. So you have one more receiving back and then two between the tackles runners. And you just sort of try to balance that. So you don't ever take two running backs in the same draft if you're into the habit because... What you don't want to do is try to replace an entire room every single um, four years. You want to be doing it every year. Just add one running back and keep improving that talent. And there's one thing that is changing within the NFL. And you see a lot of it with Shanahan. Um, once Garoppolo was in there. Two running back sets. And you've got someone I'm a big fan of, Lincoln Riley, in college football. I don't watch much college football, but I do watch and read lots of pieces, and he seems to be doing a great job. And he's also been a fan of two running back sets. And when you're looking at, you can get a high-level receiving back in Duke Johnson for just under $4 million, 2.2%. And then you've got a top-slot wide receiver in Landry at nearly 9% on $15.5 million. When they're both able to do great receiving work, if you're able to reduce that price and grab a couple of Duke Johnsons and not have a Landry, then you're creating space in the game and suddenly you can throw it different ways and you want to have as many targets open for a quarterback as possible. So I would argue that it's definitely a direction you go. I wouldn't bother with a fullback. I think you're getting much better value by chasing a tight end like Darren Fells who can do both. So when your roster comes together, if you're looking at having four running backs in that room and not having a fullback, then you can easily come together with a fantastic depth. And not only do you have to rely on drafts, because your, your running backs will get injured. Regularly through the season, you'll see them go down, you'll have to move them on. You might have one stashed on your uh, practice squad that you can call up. What you've also got is free agency. So where there's all this talent coming through and teams are happy to draft and then release their own guys, you'll be able to go out there and find players that you can get on sort of a two-year deal with not much guarantees. And by all means, if, if you can go out there and get a running back that's been in the league and done the business, not at sort of a bell level, but at a reasonable level, then why not go out and sign them and spend a million a year and get a player that is solid, can do a job, because if you give yourself options and bring in talent, 
at cheap, cheap prices, then you're able to strengthen in other positions. So I'd say 4%'s always got to be the target. We're paying more, but in all honesty, I don't expect Hyde to be here long term. I think he's very much a one-year rental to make sure we could sign Duke up to a new contract. We've added Chubb, and then next year, we'll just add another running back. That's what I'm covering this week, just looking at the running game and how you get, get the most value out of it. I think you go cheap, buy often, and just keep replacing them. And that's why I was really annoyed when we made the Nick Chubb pick. Because, don't get me wrong, Nick Chubb is a fantastic player. He's got a lot of talent. I like what he does. And I think he will do a good job for the Browns because... If you look at that line in front of him, it is a fantastic O-line that he's running behind. But let's look at some of the other players we could have drafted rather than Nick Chubb. I'm looking at cornerback Josh Jackson. Having one of the he's having the best preseason of any cornerback in the NFL, according to PFF. It's nice to know though, Terrence Mitchell is very close behind him. Tight end a man that I desperately wanted the Browns to draft, Mike Gusecki. Could, I would have given to see Mike Gusecki and Njoku ripping up the NFL for the next 10 years. Wide receiver, we could have added Court, Cortland Sutton, someone that I'd have really enjoyed seeing. I think he'd have added a lot to the Browns. And sort of this lack of depth we've got in the wide receiver room would have been solved. And defensive end Harold Landry. Very promising pass rusher. There was lots of people on um, Brown social media from Jeff Lloyd to Pete Smith to Daily Brown's mock draft that were desperate for us to get him. And it would have been a brilliant signing. And All of them would have been much better players in my eyes than drafting a running back. Just going to cover off some of the big contracts we've seen, um, especially in the league and what's to come. Potential Mac deal. There's been talks about the trade. Will the Browns give up two firsts and then pay Khalil Mack somewhere in the region of $20 million, um, a year for the next five years? I think it'd be madness giving away two first-round picks for any player. I think the only player in the NFL I'd have done that deal for would have been Aaron Rodgers. You'd have tried to pay him more than the $20 million because he's a quarterback, so it'd probably been nearer the 30 mark. But to give up two first-round picks is a massive amount. And... While people might say, well, our roster's loaded, it'd have been okay. If you make that trade, then suddenly you're left with a big hole because you're paying a massive amount of money for Khalil Mack, which you, you can work around, but if you're giving up two first-round picks to do it, the trouble you've got as a franchise is the two really good players that you get on cheap deals that allow you to pay... 20 million a year to a Mac just isn't there. So I think it would be a really risky move to make. If we could sort of do a deal, say, a second and Ogba for Mac is the sort of region where I'd be a lot more content with it. Who knows whether they'd actually agree that deal. Lots of people will be saying, oh, well, you know, Ogba and a second doesn't equal two firsts. If anyone was willing to give them two firsts, the deal would have been done by now. So I can't see it being two firsts. The OBJ deal just showed how important it is to draft your own players because then you can re-sign them at below market rate. And it's clear that it's below market rate. Sammy Watkins got 16 million, OBJ's got 18 million, 
and on 17 million was what Antonio Brown got 18 months ago. So the value is there. And the reason why you get value is because if you draft someone in the first round pick, you have control of that player for the next seven years. Because you've got four years, you've got the fifth year, and then you've got two years when you can franchise tag them if they're at that level. And so the bartering chip you have is you can go, look, you're going to take a better deal than you can get on the open market because rather than do an extra two years where you might get injured and your career ends, I can guarantee you X amount. And there's been no real increase in any of the position markets outside of quarterback. So if you're a quarterback, ignore that. You can drive to free agency and you're still going to get paid. But if you're any other position, your career isn't that long. You can't give up your first seven years if you're a top 10 player in your position in the NFL. So drafting and re-signing is the best way to go. And while fans would love to add Khalil Mack this year, it's not worth it long term. I don't want to see a team that wins a Super Bowl and then goes into 10 years of obscurity and tries to come back. I want to get, be seeing the Browns get rings every single year. And a trade like that gives you a two-year, three-year Super Bowl window, but then suddenly you're not replacing that top talent and your team starts going downhill. So any questions, do get in touch. I'm always here to answer them. It's at Jack Duffin. Ask me on Twitter. And uh, I'll get back to you on there, or if it needs a slightly longer answer, I'll do it on here. So it's at J-A-C-K-D-U-F-F-I-N. Thank you very much again for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast.